Good morning. Uh, I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us today. And I want to invite you to grab your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, grab your pew Bible and turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Um, We live in the day and the age of what is called first world problems. Have you ever heard of first world problems? Here's a first world problem. You have so much food in your refrigerator and so much food in your cupboards, you're not able to eat it all quick enough before the food expires and you have to throw food away. Anybody ever been there before? That's a a first world problem. Because today, on the face of this earth, there are Christians and non-Christians for that matter that have arisen and they're not sure if they're going to have enough food for one meal today, much less Three meals. That's a first world problem. Another first world problem that I am guilty of is you open up your closet and there are so many clothes in your closet that if you picked a different shirt or a different pair of slacks or a different sweater for every day of the month, you would still have an overabundance of clothes. And that's a first world problem. Another first world problem, if you're technologically savvy, is that you have recorded so many shows on your DVR, you will never have enough time to watch all the shows that are waiting to be viewed. I have like all Cub victories from the playoffs this year on my DVR. There will not be enough time in the winter, although I will try, to watch all. That's a first world problem. And We chuckle at first world problems. I've got to get out of my warm bed to plug in my iPhone because my iPhone cord won't reach all the way to the bed. That's a first world problem. But here's the deal. First world problems really are a problem because they lead to the issue of ingratitude, not being grateful. We have so much. We are so blessed. And I think this is especially true. The younger you are, you just start to expect it. Um, Every week when I get ready to preach, if it's a good week, I try to spend at least a couple hours reading other sermons or listening to other sermons or lessons or Bible studies on the text that I'm going to break down. And I get ideas and I get illustrations. And um, one of the things that is a real challenge this time of the year for preachers is how do you make Thanksgiving fresh? How do you make Christmas fresh? How do you say something that longtime Christians have never heard before? But I read something this week, and it kind of clicked with me. And maybe I'm the only person that it clicks with, but this preacher was making the case. His thesis, when it comes to Thanksgiving, is that most Christians are grateful. That's an emotion. But very few make the transition from being grateful to actually being thankful. And that's an action. And that's, uh, I'm not just happy, I'm not just going to be grateful, but I'm going to do something about it, and I'm going to put into practice this grateful spirit that I have, and that's where you really get the thanksgiving. If you look at the parable of the ten leopards, which we're not going to look at today, from Luke chapter 17, all ten were healed, all ten were grateful. How many went back and said, Jesus, you're awesome? One. And that one was actually thankful. 
So today we're going to look at what I think is one of the great unsung psalms in the Bible. And um, I've actually asked my daughter, Jordan, she's back for uh, Thanksgiving break. She's going to read for me because she's a lot better reader than I am and uh, was a a lot better English student than I was. So I'm going to ask her to read for us this wonderful psalm, all 22 verses, Psalm 103. Let's check this out. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone. Its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Love, Psalm 103. Give Jordan a hand. Good reading. Oh, easy there. Easy. Okay. Um, Ashley, Jordan, thank you for getting up at 6 a.m. today to come in and read at first service on her first day of Thanksgiving break. In 1998, 1999, hey, at least you didn't fall all the way down. You know, that's the good thing. We've seen that before. So um, in 1998, 1999, I was serving at the church in Moequa, and it was kind of a convergence of events. Three different opportunities kind of presented themselves, really all within just a couple months. One was an opportunity to relocate to New England, to work with new churches out there. The other was to move to Colorado, an awesome state, to work with new churches there. And one was to transition to my alma mater, Lincoln Christian College and Seminary, and to do some teaching and work in the admissions office. And so I started looking at all these different opportunities, and you know, they would say, well, here's what the salary is going to be. And you know, it was okay. It was decent. But when I sat down with Lynn Laughlin and some of the folks at Lincoln Christian College and Seminary, there was a word that jumped out at me that I had never considered before in my life. I was young at that time, 29. I'd been at one church full-time my, my whole career. And they started talking about the benefit package. And I remember my eyes kind of peeked, uh, 
per- perked up a little bit. I said, benefit package? What do you mean? And they said, well, we're going to pay you this salary right here, but we're going to give your family, this is back in the day when health insurance was actually affordable and the whole family was on it, we're going to give your whole family health insurance, which was awesome, because Marla uh, was pregnant with Peyton, going to be a stay-at-home mom for a while, and we're going to put 8% of your salary into a retirement fund, and you're going to get so many weeks of vacation and so many personal days, and that, that term, benefit package, I just... I resonated around it. I'd never thought that a a lowly preacher would be able to have a benefit package. And when they presented it like that, I started realizing, you know, the salary tells one part of the story, but when you start talking about the benefits, wow, that's really something. I think as Christians, we struggle with ingratitude. We struggle with not being thankful because we don't consider the benefit package from the Lord. And Psalm 103, I love this psalm. It does an incredible job of articulating what I'm going to call the Lord's benefit package for those who fear him, for those who love him, for those who serve him. Now, I'm going to give you five parts of God's benefit package. And if you've been in the church a long time, and a whole bunch of us have been in the church a long time, this is not going to be new information. You're not going to walk away and say, wow, I'd never considered that before, forgiveness of sins. Wow, I'd never considered that before, God's unconditional love. But here's why I'm sharing this with you today. Many of us are going to gather this week with family and or friends, and some of them don't know Jesus. Or some of them were in a situation where 10 years ago they were sitting in a church like this, and they were singing, we gather together, or, you know, your praise will ever be on my lips, or whatever song they were singing 10 years ago. And today, that's not part of what they do, for whatever reason. Maybe it's a storm of life, maybe it's another incident that they faced, but they're not really living for the Lord today. And so I'm sharing with you this benefit package from the Lord for you, but also so you can take seriously what the Apostle Paul talks about being Christ's ambassador. Being that that messenger, being that mouthpiece. So let's consider from Psalm 103, God's great benefit package for his children. Number one is this, be thankful for a God who pardons, verse 2 talks about a pardon, excuse me, verse 3, our sins are gone and forgotten. Verse 3 simply says God forgives all your sins. Verse 10 says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. What do we deserve? Sin leads to spiritual death. New Testament is crystal clear on that. The wages of sin is death. We deserve death, but that's not how God treats his children. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. And I love verse 12, as far as the east is from the west. How far is that, by the way? That's a long way, right? As far as the east is from the west, so great has he removed our transgressions from us. And so benefit number one is a pardon. I deserve spiritual death. You deserve spiritual death. Gallup did a recent poll, and it found out that one out of every one people are sinners and need a savior. That's a joke. You can laugh if you want to. The point is this. We've all missed the mark. We all need a Savior, and we have a God who pardons. Our sins are gone 
and forgotten. And I just, I throw this out to you. If you're sitting here today and maybe that's kind of new information or maybe you haven't reflected on it or maybe you've never made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, let me give you a verse to take with you today to meditate on, to think about. It's 1 John 1, 9. It talks about what God promises to do with our sins if you're a follower of Jesus. 1 John 1, 9, I'm not even going to read it. You're going to have to look it up, but it's a verse to take to the bank. Number one, be thankful for a God who pardons. Number two, be thankful for a God who heals. Verse three talks about healing. He heals all our diseases. And this healing is both a physical healing and a spiritual healing. In the last five weeks, I've been in nine different hospitals all across Illinois. I've been to a hospital in Chicago. This week I was at a hospital in Quincy. I've been to Peoria, Bloomington Normal, Decatur, Springfield, Champaign-Urbana. And in every situation, uh, people are there obviously because something is not correct. And in some situations, when I, by the time I get there and I make the pastoral visit and I have the prayer with them, things are looking good. And, and it's kind of encouraging. And you know, people are saying, let me show you my scar. They're in such a good mood. That's always interesting, by the way. But that's another illustration for another time. And sometimes it's heartbreaking. Sometimes you're there and people, they're just, they're broken. And like, why did this happen to my husband? Why did this happen to my mom? Why did this happen to my child? But in every instance, when we pray, when we grab hands and we pray, we pray, God, thank you for this hospital. Thank you for DMH. Thank you for Broman. Thank you for OSF. Thank you for University of Chicago. Thank you for Blessing Hospital. I'm praying that the doctors are going to be at their best. I'm praying that the surgeons are going to be very skillful. I'm praying that the nurses will have a real servant attitude. But in every situation, we're given credit to where credit is due. God, you're the healer. God, you bring healing. Now, here's the temptation with this passage of Scripture, to only think of physical healing. And I believe that what God gives us as a benefit is not just physical healing, but also spiritual healing. I heard an illustration years and years ago. It stuck with me for like 21 years. I'm going to share it with you today. One of my favorite preachers growing up as a youth minister and even as a student was a guy named Tony Campolo. He would go to youth conferences, loved hearing Tony Campolo preaching. He told the story of when he was a young preacher, and he was out doing revivals, and he said a lady came up during the invitation time at the revival, and she was broken. And she said, my husband, he's in his 50s, he's mad at God, he's got cancer, he's going to die, there's no cure. He wasn't really that good with God anyway, but he is just downright angry with God. And Campolo said, can you get him here tomorrow night for the last night of the revival? She said, I don't know. He's pretty ticked at God. Campolo said, whatever you have to do, whatever promise you have to make, whatever deal you come up with, get him here tomorrow night. And sure enough, he came that next night. And at the end of the time when the song was sung, the two of them came up and Campolo spent time praying with them and encouraging them, prayed for healing during that time. And he said, you, you, you get busy with your life, you get back to the classroom, you're teaching, you forget about it. Two years later, lady shows up at another revival. And he said, I remembered her right away. You're the lady whose husband was dying of cancer. She had a big old smile on her face and said, yeah, thank you so much. For the time that you took to spend with my husband and me. And he goes, well, you're smiling, so you must have good news. She goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, he must have beat cancer. She said, oh, no. no he died the next week, actually. And he goes, oh, well, that's kind of odd. 
But she said from that night on, the last week of his life on this earth was the best week of our life, the last half of his life. He made peace with God. He made peace with Jesus. And he died a happy, satisfied man. And then she said something that stuck with him that sticks with me. He wasn't cured, but he was healed. Will it be this week there are people that need a spiritual healing I can't deliver, and you can't deliver. But Jesus Christ already has. Thank God for the great benefit of healing, both physically and spiritually. Number three, be thankful for a God who redeems. He saves us from ourselves and our sins. And this sounds kind of familiar to number one, the whole pardon thing, but redeeming is more than just being forgiven. It's more, it's actually saving us, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Verse 4 simply says, He redeems your life. But later on in the, the Psalm 103, it says, He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He saves us from our sins, but he also saves us from ourselves. Don't raise your hand right now. I'm going to ask a rhetorical question, but have you ever struggled because you knew God had forgiven you, but you can't forgive yourself? You just keep thinking, I wish I could go back to when I was 16 or 26 or 35 or 76 and you want time travel, but time travel is not a reality. And you just can't let go. Psalm 103, one of the great benefits from God the Father is that not only does he pardon us, he redeems us. He saves us from our sins. He saves us from ourselves. Have you ever wanted something so bad you could taste it? and you prayed fervently for it, and God answered your prayer, but the answer was no, and you weren't real happy about it, and you're like, God, what are you doing? And then you look back like a year later, or five years later, or ten years later, and you're like, God, I am so glad that you didn't answer that prayer like I wanted it answered. I've been there many times in my life. I was ticked in the moment, and I was praising him five years later. Thank you, God, for saving me from myself. Be thankful for a God who redeems. Number four, be thankful for a God who crowns. Verse four talks about how we are crowned with love and compassion. How does God crown us? With unconditional love and with uncontrollable compassion. Psalm 103 talks about how the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And in verse 17, I've never connected with verse 17 before this week. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. Um, Unconditional love, it's a great Christian concept. And it's really hard for us to to wrap our brains around it. I said in first service, I think many Christians actually have a hard time practicing unconditional love. And, And really, we have to look to Jesus. We have to look at how God made Jesus, him who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How in Romans 5, 8, the Apostle Paul talks about while we were still sinners, Christ died 
for us. And so praise God that you have a God the Father, Jesus the Son, who not just talks about, doesn't just preach unconditional love, practices unconditional love with action. And then finally, benefit number five, be thankful for a God who satisfies finding enough in the Lord. And and this might be the most important takeaway for some of us, especially those of us who have been around Jesus a long time, is wrestling with what the Apostle Paul wrestled with, embracing godly contentment. i got to be honest, I'm not content. I'm not. Think of it like this. Let's say you're a baseball fan, and you've waited for 108 years for your team to win the World Series. You don't want any more victories, right? You're done, right? Heck no, right? We want to win next year, right? We're always wanting more. And that's okay when it comes to baseball. But spiritually speaking, in the world in which we live, I think one of the real challenges that I face and that we face is being thankful with what we have, the blessings that are in front of us. This week, of all weeks, let's start that journey to practicing contentment, satisfaction, finding enough in the Lord. Bottom line, Jordan read it in verse 1, and Jordan read it in verse 22. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Now, most of the time, I would pray, and Samuel would come up and sing a song, and we'd get ready for communion. But I'm not done yet. Because what I want this message to bring for you is something that's different than probably any other Thanksgiving message that I've ever been a part of or I've ever shared. The, the conclusion of this message, we want to play out on Thursday. And so if you have a bulletin, grab the, uh, the goldenrod piece of paper in your bulletin right here. Check this out right here. And um, in moving from grateful, which is an emotion, to thanksgiving, which is an action, it's an activity, we want to challenge you, the families of FCC, the people of FCC, to truly practice thanksgiving on thanksgiving. Paul put it like this to the church at Thessalonica. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's watch this short video here. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Um, We got a cool new opportunity uh, this Thanksgiving that uh, if you're just at home with your family or or wherever you go and celebrate, um, we just have a a couple things that we would love for you to try um, just to practice thankfulness and prayer together as a family. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And, and as a church, as a community of believers, we would just love to practice this and put it into action this Thanksgiving. Thursday, you're watching the Cowboy game or the Illini basketball game or the Lions or the parade, or whatever it is, what we want you to do is we want you to take some time as a family to actually practice Thanksgiving as a family. And we're talking about three movements. Samuel has put together a video that documents all of this. And if you want a reminder on how to get the video, and I don't know technology too well, but read the screen, you enter that number, you text that message, and you're going to get a reminder. And we actually have put together a video that's going to walk you through the three movements. And I know that some of you, you're looking at me right now like I've got three noses. I really only have one nose, and this really will be be 
a blessing for you if you give it a chance. But here's the three challenges, the three movements. We want you to start by taking a few minutes with your family and friends to share God's example, uh, uh, to share examples of God's faithfulness in your lives over the course of this year. Remembrance is the very heart of gratitude. And that may be like two minutes, that may be 20 minutes. Depending on what's been going on in your world and the world of your family, it may take a while. That's fine. There's no time limits on this. Second movement, take a few minutes with those around you to go around and share specific examples of reasons why you're thankful for each individual person. Bless them. Be a blessing. For instance, my mom Dorothy is here. And one of the things that I'm going to say on Thursday that I'll say right now is that she makes the absolute best sausage cornbread dressing in the history of dressing. I mean, there's none better than that. If I could, I'd eat it every day. I'd weigh 300 pounds. That's another story for another time. But I love that so much. So I'm going to pour that blessing out upon her. Keep on making the cornbread sausage dressing. But don't just be satisfied with the surface stuff. Take time to really pour blessing into the people that you love. And then movement number three, we want to pray. Close your time together by praying a prayer of thanksgiving for all of the blessings that you have, especially the ones that we forget. Pray also for those who are needy or hurting this Thanksgiving season, even developing a plan of action to bless those who are in need. And if you're really savvy technologically, snap some pictures with your phone or whatever you snap pictures with. Put it on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or all the other stuff that I don't know about with the hashtag FCC Thanksgiving. I've already started posting stuff at F- hashtag FCC Thanksgiving. And if you don't know how to use a, a hashtag, Adam Brucker will give you a lesson following our service today. What I would love to do, two, twofold with this. One, I'd love to just blow it up for the Lord this Thanksgiving on social media, overflowing with Thanksgiving. But more than that, I want us to look back and say, you know, I remember that day sitting around the table in Clinton. I remember that day sitting around the table in Michigan. I remember that day sitting around the table and taking time to be a blessing to one another and ultimately to praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. And I thank you for Psalm 103. I thank you for the benefits that you poured out upon us. I am just overwhelmed with thanksgiving that you pardon and you heal, you redeem, you satisfy. Thank you for how you bless us. God, help us to live lives of thanksgiving, not just this week, but especially this week. Help us to make that move from grateful to thankful for your glory. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.